Luke 10, 25 to 37. Please stand for the reading of God's word. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. So we're walking through Luke's gospel this fall. Uh, We're in a, a little series where we're spending three weeks looking at some of Jesus' teaching in the first half of Luke. And today we come across this most famous of parables what we call the Good Samaritan, this story that has really captivated the imagination of people for over 2,000 years now. This is an amazing parable with an amazing message, uh, very fitting to our Compassion Sunday, of course. Uh, it begins, do I have a Bible? I do, that's good, that's always helpful. Um, it begins w- with this encounter that Jesus has, this encounter between an expert in the law and Jesus. And let me suggest there are some similarities between these two men. Um, both of them have undoubtedly devoted their lives to uh, the, the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, to studying and accurately interpreting the scriptures. They are both doing their best to follow God as they understand him. So some similarities to them. Um, but I think some, some, some differences, too, between these two men. And what I want to suggest today is that they have a very radically different view of how you pursue holiness in life. All right? And if I, if I can use this man as a, as a representative of some of the religious leaders of the day, let me just talk you through this for a second. I think the religious leaders of the day, this is how they think about pursuing holiness. Um, if you were to take your own life, okay, this is me, and um, there's all these situations around me, there's people around me, and some of these situations are messy and broken and sinful and, and just messy situations. And so they think of holiness in terms of separation. To be holy is to be separate. To be holy is to be set apart. 
And so for them, pursuing holiness is about creating fences, boundaries between me and these messy people or these messy, sinful situations and scenarios. It's holiness through separation. The religious leader's expert, the religious leader's question is always, how clean is your life? That's what holiness is all about. How clean is your life? How pure is your life? How removed are you from these situations? And Jesus thinks about holiness so differently. For him, he looks at holiness, and holiness is defined in terms of compassionate action towards the needs of the world. You watch him at work, and you can see for him what it means to follow God is this compassionate, active engagement with the world around him and all of its brokenness. For Jesus, the question is not how clean is your life. For Jesus, the question is how big is your heart? How much does your heart beat like the heavenly father's heart? His heart of compassion, love, and grace, and mercy for the needy. We saw last week, Jesus says, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. So those are two radically different views on how you pursue holiness in life. And those views come out, of course, in this conversation. Um, The conversation begins with this expert uh, in the law accurately identifying the heart of God's law, right? He says to Jesus, you know, what's, how do you inherit life? What's the most important thing to know? And Jesus says, well, how do you read it? You tell me what's what you're reading. There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And this man accurately identifies, I read it as love. Love is the most important commandment. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, I agree. We see it the same way. But this guy is testing Jesus, it says, and he wants to justify the way he lives his life, right? So he asks the question, okay, I, love is, I get that, but who's my neighbor? Like when it says love your neighbor, who's my neighbor? So to, to put this up again, this guy has a view of the world that's this. Here's me, and there's certain people in my life that ought to be considered as neighbor. I have an obligation to them, a friendship or love or hospitality, whatever. But there's surely people outside of the neighbor fence um, that I don't have to love, that I'm not obligated to. So how do I define who's my neighbor, who's inside the fence, and who's outside the fence? So in response to that perspective and question, Jesus says, um, let me tell you a little story. Okay? And you should always be nervous when Jesus says, let me, let me tell you. Like, that's never going to end well for the person who's listening to the story. Just heads up. So I think we're cued in on that. And you know the story. Um, he tells a story that begins with a tragedy that creates a very real need, right? So this man is going along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a 17-mile stretch of road. You go from a high elevation down below sea level. And this is a notoriously dangerous stretch of road. Part of this 17-mile journey, they actually called the way of blood because the way, the way it was, it was isolated. This was a, a place where robbers would come. People would get, you know, mugged and, and their stuff taken from them, all right? This is, it's a notorious, when, when Jesus says he's going from here to here, everyone would carry, oh, I know that road. That's a dangerous stretch of road. So I want you, you know, picture whatever neighborhood, community, city you don't want to be driving in late at night. I want you to picture whatever that is for you. Um, That would be what this, there would be that kind of, you know, feeling associated with this road. So this guy is on that road, obviously, and and as sometimes happens on that road, he is, uh, these guys come and and beat him up, uh, take all of his stuff, 
and leave him for dead. And he's left laying on the side of this really dangerous stretch of road, this incredible need. And then, of course, you have these three guys who pass by. Um, You have the first two people who pass by. Uh, They are a priest and a Levite. And let me just tell you, they are the spiritual elite of the day. Okay, when, when Jesus hears hear that, they're thinking, okay, spiritual elite. These are the cream of the crop. These are the kind of guys that good, moral, religious people would want to emulate. Uh, and most likely, if these guys are going from, Jericho, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, most likely they live in Jericho. They've come to Jerusalem to do their official work in the temple in Jerusalem. They're, they're priests and Levites. So they've come for a period of time to do their duty, do what they're supposed to do there in the temple. Now they're off hours. They're leaving and they're going back home, right? They've done the work of God. Now they're off duty. They're going home. And they both do the same thing, right? Verse 31 and 32, they see the man. They, they pass by the man. They see him. And then they pass by on the other side of the road. And we don't know why they pass by. Jesus doesn't actually tell us. And there's lots of good reasons why they might have passed by this real need. Um, I don't know about you, but... On a dangerous stretch of road, I would be really reticent to stop and help a person, knowing that this very same thing could happen to me in a minute. These, whoever did this to him could still be around. So there may have been a, a sense of danger that led them just to keep on moving. Um, they may have been worried about becoming ritualistically impure. This guy is on the road. He's bloody. He's unconscious. They don't know if he's dead or not. And for them, for a priest and a Levite to touch a dead body would render them ritualistically unclean, and they don't want to be unclean. So there may have been a religious, uh, uh, ritualistic reason why they do this. We don't know. Or of course, maybe it's just that that this need represented an unbelievable hassle in their lives. I mean, to dive into whatever is going to be required to help this guy, that's just a, that's a black hole of need. I have no idea what this would mean for me. I'm, I'm off hours, like I'm out, you know, I'm going to move on. So we, we don't know why they did what they did. There's lots of reasons why they may have, might have, but they both passed by. But the, the key that I want to mention today is whatever the reason was, for them, there was a fence in their thought of neighbor, and this guy was outside the fence. I don't have an obligation, or I don't, I don't feel obligated to help this guy. He's outside the fence. And then, of course, along comes a third guy in verse 33. And he's a Samaritan. Meaning, to Jesus' audience, he is not a spiritual elite. He is a spiritual disaster. Okay? This guy, to any Jewish here, this guy is a spiritual disaster. And most of you know Samaritans and Jews were bitter enemies. I'm not going to share the whole story, but the story goes back 800 years before Jesus. It's a story of betrayal and bitterness and backbiting. It's, it's, a, it's an ugly story. So these are our bitter enemies. Uh, Jews would consider Samaritans half-breeds, to use the Lord of the Rings term, okay? They're impure um, uh, ethnically, and they have distorted the purity of the Jewish faith, and they've brought in heresy to it. So they're impure ethnically and theologically. Um, There is no lack of love between these two groups of people. My favorite story that captures this is Luke 9, just a chapter earlier. Uh, As Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem, he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Here's, Here's what Samaritans thought about Jews at the time. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. If you're going to Jerusalem, you're not welcome in this town, say the Samaritans. 
the disciples have a great response. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Okay. All that to say, so no lack of love um, lost, I should say, um, between these people. We call this the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. For the Jew, there's no such thing as a Good Samaritan. That's an oxymoron. That doesn't make any sense. Not possible, right. But this Samaritan, um, a spiritual disaster, um, he breaks the pattern of the other two, doesn't he? Take a look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, same thing, and he saw the man, but here's the change. When he saw him, my translation says, he took pity on him. Or another translation will say, he had compassion on him. The Greek word is, is a word that, that talks about our guts. It's, he was moved in his guts by the need that he saw. Today, we talk about the heart. We would say his, his heart went out to this man. He saw this need and he was moved in his heart. He has compassion. And his compassion drives him to do some radical action on behalf of this Jewish man lying in the ditch. And, and I, I just want to think about, he, he performs these actions that break through all these fences that this man could have constructed, the Samaritan could have constructed, that would have kept him from loving this guy in the ditch. I just want to think of three fences that I noticed that he breaks through in order to love this man. Um, first, he breaks through the fence that might be the, what I'd call the when fence. Like, when do I need to love somebody? And he, he just breaks through that fence. Um, verse 31 tells us that a priest just happened to be going by this place, and then a Levite just happened to be going by, and then a Samaritan just happened to be going by this man, meaning um, he just, this wasn't planned to meet this guy. He just happened to be passing by. It wasn't part of his regularly scheduled week, his regularly scheduled program. I help, you know, people in ditches every Monday from 8 to 10, right? He's just doing his life. And this need represents a complete disruption to whatever he had scheduled for the next 24 hours, right? And, and you think of the priest and the Levite, these guys have just most likely been doing God's work. They're regularly scheduled God's work in the temple. And now they're off duty, and it's like, yeah, I'm not on duty anymore. I don't, I'm not going to do God's work. But this man breaks through that fence and allows his life to be completely disrupted, um, by this happenstance occurrence. And I don't know about you, but I mean, for me, there are times where, where I feel like I'm ready to love people. <laughs> There's times where I feel like it would be very inconvenient right now to have to deal with this need in front of me. And yet the Samaritan breaks through that when fence, if I can put it that way. Um, he also breaks through the how much fence. Like how much should I love somebody? I mean, his actions go way beyond what maybe, you know, normal, decency, appropriate behavior would, would demand. He stops. Um, he bandages this guy personally. He puts him on his own horse. Uh, he takes him to a, a, a hotel or whatever that would have been in that day. And then he gives his money, right, to make sure this guy's going to be okay. And he's going to come back and check on him and give whatever money he needs to. So this guy risks a lot. He risks his safety. It's a very d- dangerous scenario. He, of course, risks his schedule. He risks his money. He's giving money to somebody. He doesn't know how much this is going to cost him. But he just dives in. He breaks through the how much fence. 
And again, I think we could all come up with examples where a need is presented to us, some need in our, in our day, but it's like, that feels like it's going to be like a, like a black, like a rabbit hole. Like I just, there's a lot of need there. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I can engage that because I know that's going to mean this, 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 and this. And so I'm just going to maybe stay away from it because I don't think I have it in me to, to minister to that level. And this guy breaks through that. He's like, hey, I can't, this guy's needs require me. There can't be a how much fence. Like I can't love this guy well without risking some things. There's no way of doing that. So I'm going to do it. And then finally, and this is the point of the passage, he breaks through the who fence, right? Like who do I, who am I obligated to love and, and help? And again, when Jesus starts the story, we can assume the man in the ditch is a Jew, Jesus just identifies him as a certain man. But anybody listening to him would assume, yeah, we're Jews. This is a Jew, a certain man. So you have a priest and a Levite walking by one of their fellow kinsmen, one of their fellow Jews, and ignoring him. And then you have this Samaritan who is a sworn enemy of this guy. The Samaritan knows if this guy were healthy right now, he would probably engage in active hostility towards me. And that's kind of crazy. Or, or he would avoid me at all costs, at, at the very least. And so that would have been such an easy fence for him to create. This is my enemy. He, this is definitely not my neighbor. This is my enemy. And, and I think, you know, it's easy for us to, to create that same fence, right? Like, I'm going to love people who generally look like me and think like me and have the same values I have. I'm going to love people who I think would probably love me if I were, you know, if the, if the roles were reversed. Um, that's kind of the circle of people that I feel obligated to love. Quick thought experiment for you. Um, I want you to identify an enemy in your mind, one of your own enemies. Last week, I, I asked you to identify like a specific person. Like who's a person that you would identify as an enemy? This week, um, who's the type of person that you would identify as enemy, right? And we all have them. Don't pretend you don't have them. Um, but who's, who's, who's the type that is like, oh, these people just make my, you know, it might be like the, you know, the black and white fundamentalist guy holding up the sign about who God hates and rallies, right? Like, that is, that is my worst enemy. It could be the flaming, liberal, tree-hugging, whatever's on the opposite political side of the spectrum for you, right? It might, be, it might be really, really wealthy and arrogant people. It's the guy driving the yellow Lamborghini down, you know, maybe you have a yellow Lamborghini, I'm sorry. Or it could be <laughs> people from a different cultural context. Like, we all have, you know, those people. And the story screams to us, neighbor includes those people. Those people are inside the neighbor fence, not outside the neighbor fence. And what's, what's interesting about the story, I think, is how Jesus actually shifts the, the, the man's question. The man's question at the beginning is, um, verse 28, he says, who's my neighbor, right? That's what the question is. Jesus tells a story, and then he ends it in verse 36 by saying, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? In the streets. Jesus is saying, actually, the issue is not looking out outside and saying, who's my neighbor, who's not? Who out there is is outside the fence, who's inside the fence? The only issue is, will I choose to be a neighbor or not? There is no fence out there, Jesus is saying. The only fence is the one that you construct inside your heart. It's not about looking out there and, and 
and seeing who's in and who's out. It's about looking inside and asking, will I choose to be a neighbor or not? Will I, can choose, will I choose to have a heart of compassion, God's heart of compassion for people, even my sworn enemy? So to sum it up, it's, it's, a, it's a story of compassion that breaks down all these fences. And I just want to say, I said something similar last week, but I have been really convicted lately about this. And here's what I'm, here's what I'm convicted about. Um, I choose comfort all the time. And I choose convenience all the time. I choose comfort and convenience over compassion all the time. And I like, it's kind of in my face more these days. Like I will, I will do kind of what's, acceptable, but I will choose comfort and convenience over compassion every time. But I feel really conflicted because I'm also a conscientious person. Like, I, I want to do what's right, and I want to obey God. I want to be a good boy for Jesus. And, um, and so, like, so I'll, I'll reach out to people, but I've been really convicted about what, like, what drives me to do these things. And I'm realizing, like, okay, someone's in need right now. I'm a pastor. Okay, I need to reach out to that person. Why? Because a good pastor would reach out to that person. Because I would hate to feel the guilt if I didn't do that. Um, or f- what would that mean about me? What kind of a person am I if I didn't do that? What kind of a motivation is that? That's what, I, that's what motivates me. It's like, don't do wrong. <laughs> don't mess it up. And what I'm realizing is that motivation will get me absolutely to do the minimally decent thing in situations. And if we have that, like, we'll, we'll generally do what is decent and generally recognized as appropriate in situations, but that motivation would never get me to break down the fences that this Samaritan breaks down. There's no way it would bring me to that, a compassion that would bring me to that kind of radical action. It's just not going to happen. The motivation isn't there. I would have to become a different kind of person to do that. That's what I said last week. And so I want to ask again the question this week, what would have to happen in me so that I would become the kind of person who does what this Samaritan does? Well, let me tell you what would have to happen. And I want to leave you with this. Here's the brilliance of Jesus' story. We haven't even touched on what makes this story so powerful so far. Here's what makes Jesus' story so disarming and so transformative. What's amazing is that Jesus has switched the roles from the two people, from what you'd expect them to be. So let me explain. If you asked me, hey, Dave, who's my neighbor? And I wanted to teach a, a really powerful lesson about who your neighbor is. Here's how I would tell the story. I'd say, well, um, there was this Samaritan guy who got beaten up. He was left uh, you know, on, on the side of the road, left for dead. And then this Jewish man comes alongside, and he sees even his worst enemy. And you know what he did? He actually takes care of this guy and you know, bandages his wounds and, and, and carries them. And you all, since you would identify as Jewish people in the story, be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. So we need, it'd be this moralistic call to, to good and to duty. We need to break through these fences, even love, even our enemies. So the story, you would see it this way. Here I am, and look, what if my neighbor was out, the one who I'd consider outside the fence, what if he was in need, but I could even break through that fence and even love my, even, even my worst enemies? And that'd be a pretty powerful story, and you all go away going, okay, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better this time. That's not the story Jesus tells, is it? Jesus reverses the roles. Jesus tells a story of, of a Jewish man who is left for dead on the side of the road, and of a Samaritan 
who comes alongside him and demonstrates radical compassion. Now, who is every single person in Jesus' audience going to identify with? The Jewish guy. No one's going to identify with Samaritan. Okay? So he's reversed the story. My story is a moralistic call to good, right? If you saw your worst enemy, what should you do? Here's Jesus' story. What if you were beaten and left on the side of the road for dead, and then your worst enemy came alongside you? Okay, and I want you to, who's that person you picture? That person that makes your blood boil. What if that person came alongside you and they were the only thing, they were your only hope to survive? And what if that person who you hate in that moment just just expressed this surprisingly radical compassion for you and took you up and put you in their car and drove you to the hospital and paid all your medical expenses and checked in on you afterwards, what would that do to your life? How would that change that person's status as neighbor in your mind? See, my story is a a moralistic call to do good. Jesus' story is a story of grace. It's a story of of receiving grace from the last person in the world you would expect to receive grace. And it's disarming. I think that's the thing that would have to happen to change us. It would have to be, I would have to, I mean, if I experienced that kind of radical love and compassion from my worst enemy, I think that would change me. I think I would start to look at my enemies a little differently. Now, some of us haven't experienced that from a human being. But the gospel (laughs) is, this is our story. Every single one of us, this is our story. If we've given our life to Jesus, this is it. Let me read the story to you. Romans 5, 8 through 10. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if when we were God's enemies, not his neighbors, but God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Okay, this is, this is the gospel. There's Christ. That's the X, Christ, in the middle, right? Here's the gospel. I was an enemy of God. I was not a neighbor. I was his enemy. I lived my life the way I wanted to live it. I made my own decisions. I called my own shots. And that sent me in a direction away from God. And I was, whether I realized it or not, I was spiritually dead, or at least spiritually half dead, with no chance of waking myself up to spiritual life. And then God sends his son, Jesus, And Jesus, while I was still God's enemy, he comes along the side of the road and he sees me in my need, in my hopelessness, in my helplessness. And he has compassion. His heart is moved towards me. And he demonstrates this love for me that breaks down all the fences. The when, the how much, the who. He spares no expense. He offers his very life for me to bring me back to God. Jesus is our good Samaritan. He is our radical neighbor. And when we begin to let that story get inside of us, this is my story. I think that is what can begin to transform us to begin to look at our, what we would call enemies differently. I have received such compassion and unexpected favor from someone who didn't need to show it to me. And if my heart isn't over time moved by compassion for others. What does that say? If I continue to live this life of, of judgmentalism on others, of resentment towards others, of, of 
fences towards others. What does that say other than I'm not letting my own story change my life? It is not sitting, it is not resonating, it's not moved from my head down to my heart. But as it begins to do that, there's this new movement that can happen in God's people. Freely, we've been given, so, you know, freely we can give. We can offer what Jesus has offered us. So that's the call, is to to internalize the story. That's our story. And then to go out into the world and break down whatever fences God puts in front of us. So let me leave you with this. Um, Two quick responses. I know I've probably gone over a little bit. Oh, I'm fine. 951. We're good. Um, Two responses that I think are are appropriate today. One is is confession. It's certainly my response. It's a confession that says something like this. God, I just want to acknowledge my life is so measured. Um, My life is so careful. My life is so focused on my own needs and my own conveniences and comforts. The truth is there's, there's nothing much exceptional about my love right now. My love for others does not reflect the love I've experienced from you. And maybe there's a deeper issue in me that maybe I haven't fully internalized your love for me. And so maybe today is just a time of just coming to God and saying, this is, this is the reality of my heart and my life, Lord. I need you to work. I need you to transform me. I need you to, to help my story become real to me. And then the other possible response, I think, is action. Is action. Is to ask the question, God, where, even this week, where do you want me to break down a fence? Like, what fence can I break down? Where is there a need that, I'm not going to go out looking for them, but you're going to put something in front of me and... and where can I break down a fence? It might be the, the when fence. It might be the how much fence. It might be the who fence or some other fence that we construct. But how can I break down a fence to love somebody with your love this week? Um, we've given you an opportunity on the patio to break down a fence through sponsoring a compassion child. It's pretty amazing that in this day and age, we can break down national fences, that I can do something out there that impacts a kid in another part of the world. That's a pretty amazing fence that we can break down. But... For you, the fence might just be the fence of crossing the street, <laughs> literally walking across the street and talking to a neighbor that you don't like to talk to. I mean, the fence could be right here at home. This fence could be our state and some of the things that are going on, some of the things that people are experiencing right now, the fires and all of that. And, and like, you're like, I'm going to help. I'm going to get engaged some way. But how can we be people who, who receive this love and then are willing to break through these fences to offer this love to others, through these hearts of compassion? Let's pray.